escape. Invest wisely. Everybody doing good? 7.05. We'll have you out by 10 o'clock. We've been, let's get those house lights up a little bit more. I want to make sure no one falls asleep. We've been studying how the church best reveals Jesus to the world. The word revelation coming from the Greek word apocalypto does not mean apocalypse and the idea of destruction, but it means the revealing of. That the letter that Jesus has given John to write to the churches in the Roman province of Asia is saying, I want you to reveal myself to the world. And the way Jesus is revealing these letters is through a vision to the Apostle John. And remember, John has just been boiled alive, survived it, because when the church is rising up and doing the things of God and walking in step with God and the government doesn't like it, they try to take out the leaders to stop the power of the church. They try to silence the church. They try to stop the church, so they go after leaders. And what they did is they were killing off the the 12 apostles. They tried to kill John. They weren't successful. They sent him to the island of Patmos. And how many of you know that no matter how much you try, you cannot silence the almighty voice of God? So John is on the island, and God says, John, I got some letters for you to write. So John has a vision. And he has a vision of seven lampstands with Jesus in the middle. And what we've been talking about is Jesus in the middle On the cross, Jesus said three words, it is finished. Because it is finished and he had nothing more to do, him being in the middle of the seven lampstands representing the seven churches, is he he saying, church, I want to remind you that you are to be shining bright and revealing me to the world. And in order to do that, I want to encourage you in some things you're doing right, but I want to correct you in some things you're doing wrong. I want to make sure that we trim the wick of the the, the candle in the lampstand, and I want to make sure that my oil is flowing to that lampstand as much as it can. And there are some things you're doing that I see that my oil has free flow, but there are some things you're doing that's blocking the flow of my oil. So church, let's get some stuff correct. Amen? So we've looked at six letters. There are seven letters total. The first letter, quick review, Church of Ephesus. He says, you've got a lot of stuff right. You've got your systems right. You look like you're doing church, but you've got one thing wrong. You've left first love. You left first love with me, and you left first love with each other. And church, you can do as much church as you want, but if you don't love me and if you don't love each other, there ain't no point in you doing it. And everyone's been a part of churches that have a lot of people that love Jesus and don't love each other. And there's a lot of churches who say they love each other, but they don't really include Jesus. Right? So he says, you got to get that right. you got to make sure that you're in love with me and you like each other. Right? Well, the second letter, the church of Smyrna, they're persecuted and they're poor. The reason they're persecuted and they're poor is not because they've been mismanaging things. It's because the, the people that, represent, that, that are not of God have been taking their resources because they are not liking the fact that the church is actually doing something. And in the midst of this, Jesus looks at the church of Smyrna and says... I love the fact that you're being uh, steadfast in your persecution, but you've got one problem. Stop being afraid and remember who you serve in the midst of your persecution. And we've been talking about that every week. Church, stop being afraid. 
remember who you serve. We serve a God who is much higher than Biden. We serve a God who is much higher than the agenda of LGBTQ, WVXRSAT, V345. We serve a God that is much bigger, better, better and bigger than everything. What are you afraid of? Amen? We serve a God who is much bigger than sickness. Jesus touched leprosy and didn't get affected. Stop being afraid of COVID. He's much more powerful. Amen? Sorry. Letter number three, Church of Pergamon. They were loyal in the middle of what was called Satan City. Pergamon was a stronghold of satanic power. He says, I love the fact that you've been standing strong, but let's talk about something. You have tolerated way too much sin, and you are teaching a message that is a perversion of grace. It's what the American church calls the grace message. You can live how you want because you're covered in the blood. You hear churches teach big, very polar opposite ideals. You got some people that believe that God's already selected who's in heaven. You got some churches who say once saved, always saved. You got some churches who say don't worry, grace has bought you into heaven. You ain't got to worry about a thing. I'm not going to get into debating those issues tonight, but here's the problem with all of them. It takes away that your need for walking out your salvation. It takes away accountability. When you start getting wrapped into let me figure out that I don't have to do anything, there's an issue. Grace did not buy your right to live however the hell you want. Grace bought permission for you to enter into the Holy of Holies 24-7 because you are no longer bound by one priest entering into the Holy of Holies once a year. Your high priest, Jesus, the mediator, bought your right to be the temple to house the presence of God every single moment of your life and now you have grace and permission to enter in every single moment, not to live how you want because grace covers sin. That's what grace did for you. Amen? Letter four, Church of Thyatira. They were increasing in love, faith, service, patience. But it says, you've allowed the Jezebel spirit to get in my church. You've allowed false prophets. You've allowed false teachers. And what we talked about is the church loves to blame spirits walking around on the enemy. But what did Jesus say? Leaders, you allowed it. And you want to know why the Jezebel spirits walk around in churches? It ain't because Jezebel had authority. It ain't because the demons had authority. It ain't because Satan was somehow in a moment got more muscles than God. It's because the leadership allowed it. The gatekeepers of the church allowed it. And you know what the leadership is? It ain't just the, the, the head down. It's every single one of us who ain't doing our job as gatekeepers in the house and we allow anything and everything to get in our... You tolerating it. You want, you want to know what the issue is in the church today? We're more concerned with building the numbers, growing the house. So what we do, and people pick on me about it when I say it, we get someone who looks good, that can fit in skinny jeans, and they'll put them in a pulpit, and they'll teach whatever they want, but thank God we got the millennials. That's why God delivered me of skinny jeans. 
But what happens is we allow whatever to be taught because all we want to do is fill a seat and get a tithe check. And as long as it tickles ears and appeases the culture, we don't really care about changing a culture because we want to be culturally relevant. Why are we trying to be culturally relevant to a culture that needs to be redeemed? That's why Relentless looks a lot different in the past year and a half or two than it did four years ago because I had something wrong. You know why we couldn't grow? I was trying to be culturally relevant. We were trying to meet them where we're at instead of reveal Jesus to them. Okay? Okay. Letter five, Church of Sardis. Jesus says, you look alive, but you're dead. You've got no warfare coming against you. If you don't have any warfare coming against you, you should really take some inventory about what's in your house. Because if the enemy don't see you as a threat, he'll leave you alone. And there are so many churches who are, they got great programs, they got great messages, they got thousands of people, but they sit, he's still dying. You look alive. You have the appearance of being a great church, but nothing is changing because when the enemy looks at you, he feels secure. So he, it says the weapons, weapons will be formed against you and the voices of the enemy will rise against you. They will be silenced and the weapons will not prosper. But what the church thinks that means is, well, we're going to enter a day where we don't have warfare. No. What that means is you will see the weapons formed, you will see the voices rise, but you will also see that they will not have any bearing on your existence when you stand in the name of Jesus. And if you're not seeing them form and you not see the scoffers rise, you need to check to see if anything about you is valid. And when I preached that message that week, I had so much warfare against me. And when I, when I was studying the message and I had the warfare and I had the scoffers and I had everything come against me, I was like, well, God, thank you, but did you have to confirm it like that? <laughs> and then I found out the entire church was going through the same thing. Three worship leaders had the exact same car wreck in, the, in two days. Part still got rear-ended. You can't make that up. You look dead. Or you look alive. But you're dead. That was bad. Whew! Get redeemed. So he says, you need to strengthen what remains, Sardis, because there's a remnant where the rest of the church of the area is dead. There's a remnant that is remaining, and I want you to strengthen that remnant. Put on the robes of right standing that Jesus purchased for you. Get stronger. And I believe that's exactly why we're seeing people leave it, leaving churches of tens of thousands to find the houses of tens and twenties. They're searching out the remnant. Then last week, we talked about the church of Philadelphia. It was a very simple message, but I think a very good message. Jesus looked down and said, Philadelphia, you're getting everything, you, you got everything right. I'm pleased with you. 
but you haven't done one thing. You have not seen the open door right in front of you. They were positioned in a, in a, in a city where the, the city had one purpose, spread Greek culture throughout Asia. And Jesus said, you're doing everything right and you've got yourself correct, but you haven't seen the opportunity to take my culture and spread it everywhere. And there are many people who are positioned, but you don't see the opportunity right in front of you and understand that the only one that can open and close doors is the Lord. And when he opens a door, why are you waiting to walk through it? And one thing that I've talked about, and this is a good segue into today, I believe, is we define open doors as a door wide open. But God doesn't define an open door like that. What defines an open door? Whether it's what? Locked. And he says, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. I'm going to watch how you steward your keys and the authority that I gave you and the robes that I purchased for you. And as you steward the authority that I bought and the robes that you're wearing, I will show you what doors are open and I will close doors that you don't need to walk through. But do you see the doors closed or do you see the doors open? Let me sh- and let me tell you what I talked about last week. We are in a time where we feel like the doors are closing and all the doors for the church are closed, but I say they're open. Because we're seeing all the stuff, all the... the, 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 the exaltation of everything against the Bible. But do you see the opportunity, church? Do you realize the opportunity of our intercession is in key position? We don't have to guess what strongholds to pray into. We're seeing what pastors are fake. We're seeing what churches ain't doing a thing. We're seeing the strongholds of our area. We see the religion. We see the homosexuality. We see the identity issues. Do you see the opportunity we have? We are positioned greatly to strategically go to war in the best way. The war's been won. So let's go occupy that territory. It's being exposed. Do you see the opportunity? What are we worried about? I've been seeing posts about this new act that they want to post in Georgia, the uh, Equality Act. Well, everywhere, nationally. Now, first of all, before I say this, we need to pray that it doesn't pass. And, and, and we, we really do need to rise up and pray into that. But let me just tell you where I'm at with it. If it passes, I ain't worried. Because you know what the price Relentless is willing to pay? You can lock our doors but you ain't going to shut our mouths. And you can lock me up. But if you tell me that I have to hire this, the only thing that I'm bringing into this house is what this word tells me that I can bring in. And the government ain't going to change my mind on it. And if you want to get even more real about it, and this is probably more of a Wednesday night teaching, but if the church was operating how it's supposed to, we don't even hire. We raise. So we good. Anyways, just thought I'd throw that out there. So we've gone through these six letters, and after that 20-minute recap, 
we're going into the last letter of Revelation. Y'all excited? I am too. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. <clears throat> Laodicea was a very wealthy city with a very significant Jewish population. <clears throat> in fact, it was the center for worship of Caesar and the worship of a healing god named Asclepios. They built a temple for Asclepios with a medical school connected to it. They were so rich that records show that an earthquake hit there in AD 60, and usually when natural disaster came, uh, they would bring outside cities and resources to help rebuild it. Laodicea was so rich and so wealthy that they denied any outside resources and they rebuilt the city from within themselves. That's how much they depended on themselves. They were very, very wealthy. The reason they were able to do that, the reason they were so rich and significant and wealth was that they were a commercial center that exported goods all over the world. And Laodicea prided themselves in three things. Financial wealth, their textile industry, and they were famous for having an eye ointment that helped with blindness. Wealth, textiles, blindness, money, clothing, and seeing issues. Laodicea did have some problems, though. One of their main problems was they had a poor water supply. And having a poor water supply made them very vulnerable to attack. Because if an enemy surrounded the city, the enemy could cut off any water supply that was coming into them. And because they needed the water supply so much, instead of taking a stand against the enemy, Laodicea would, Laodicea would often make negotiations and compromise with the enemy to keep themselves safe. Their only water supply came from the hot springs of Hierapolis. Well, the issue was that the water supply from the hot springs came from a six-mile channel of water. And by the time the water from the hot springs got to the city, it was lukewarm. And no one was really thrilled about that. I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't like a lukewarm shower. I want to burn my skin off. And when I drink a cold glass of water, I want it cold. I want it to quench my thirst. And Jesus, in the middle of the city, where their only water supplies, they get lukewarm water. And they have such little water supply that all they do is make compromises with the enemies. Jesus says, I've got a message to this church planted in this city that is vulnerable to attack and to a city that is settling for lukewarm water and compromising with the enemy. And before he delivers this message, he says, let me describe himself. Every letter before he gives the thing, before he gives the message, he says, I want to describe myself to you. The way he describes himself to this city is he says, I am the amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of God's new creation. 
He starts out by saying, I am the amen. What does amen mean? Anybody know? It means so be it. Amen. So be it. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says this. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Keep that up there. Jesus is the yes to the promises of God. When we come into agreement with Jesus, with the amen, our yes, our amen, our so be it, to the so be it, doesn't stop in the temple waiting for a priest to carry it up. Our yes, with the yes, ascends to, the, to God the Father for his glory. In other words, we don't have to wait for God to find favor with us because he's, he has already found favor with us in the faithful and true witness of the amen. But what happens with the church is we don't understand that we have come into agreement with the faithful and true witness of the amen, and we spend our whole lives creating a religious system of let me measure up, and we don't get focused on relationship. We try to say, let's get the service right. Let's get the system right. Let's pray more. Let's do this. And the Father's like, he has already made you right with me. Why are you still striving in that way? You're getting concerned with the wrong stuff. Which is why half the churches in the world, especially I would say probably 99% in the American church, we want good services and he just says, seek my presence. If you would just enter in, I supply your every need. But the presence of the amen has not become a reality to you yet. Is this okay? He says, I am the amen to everything you've been waiting on. Why are you still searching for it? God, I need protection. Okay, well, you're protected with your fervency and with, and with seeking me daily. Yet when something happens, we pray for protection. He says, well, I'll give you protection based off of your seeking. Can I just get real? This is where the church has gotten to. I talked about this a little bit on Wednesday. We say that Jesus is the promise to everything we've been waiting on. And we've been watching what he's doing. And we believe in healing and we believe in miracles. But this is the system of the church in America. Someone needs healing so instead of seeking him for a word, just like he did, let's get 15 intercessors, surround the person, yell for 45 minutes, and when they don't get healed, say, well, we'll just believe it happens. And we get satisfied with it. Instead of saying, is there something in us that maybe we haven't postured correctly? Because we're too scared to look at us and what we do is we blame something else. He says, I am the witness that a word will drive out a demon and that you will cast out 
leprosy and sickness, yet when a pandemic comes across America, you trust in a mask and social distancing and not gather the church and lay hands on the sick. Do you really claim that he's the amen when you don't follow through with what he says to do? And you're wondering what's the problem with America? It's the church. Then he says, I'm the beginning. I don't know why I'm young. He says, I'm the beginning of God's new creation. The beginning comes from this Greek word. I'm going to call it Archie, but it's Arche, R-K-A-R-C-H-E, meaning source. Not first in order, but I'm the source. I am the source of all things new. If we're going to see all things made new, he has to be the source or the origin of all those new things. He has to be the source of all those new things. 2 Corinthians 5.17 This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. But in order for the new life to begin, it can't be through a simple statement. It has to be through, he has to be the source of all you do. He is the living water. And if he is not the source of all you do, just because you said, I believe that Jesus is my Lord, that statement does not make him your source. A relationship with the living water you drink from makes him your source. That's why he says, many will call upon my name, but I will say to them, I never knew you. Because if you do not make him the source of every response and everything you do, you will not walk into a new posture of living. John 4, 14. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. Yet for some reason the church, all of our prayer times are, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. Well, if you have the right source... You won't need any more to drink. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. The Christian life has been consumed with, I need. The church, the, the, the Bible says, give to the storehouse so that there is no need among you. Literally, we are given the instruction of how to build our lives upon the rock, how to build the church on the foundations of who he is, but nothing has been connected to the source that quenches every need. It's let me get my Sunday morning in, let me appease my prayer time, let me shout for 45 minutes in church, and I'm good to go. And you walk through your week, and you live your life, and you cut the source off as soon as you walk out of the doors, because you still think a church has something to do with where you go. 
know what church is? It's the body of believers. You know why the government can't shut down the church? Because it has nothing to do with a location. The problem is we are scared of that because we are not connecting to the source. We're connecting with a service. You're connecting with, I've got to go get a word. That's why, that's, mm. let me tell you the issue with charismatics and Pentecostals. They'll travel four hours for a word and leave your city behind in darkness. That's the issue. Instead of pressing in, connecting to the source, and building a community of believers that Jesus wants built, you know why there's a dark cloud over Savannah? It's because of the church. Because the enemy has no authority. They're occupying places that they have no rights to. When we rely on the water source for life, new life begins, but you have to drink from a new well in Jesus, not the old ones. And we love to keep old wells around. Old wells of religion, old wineskins of religion, old things that comfort us. Jesus is like, I'm all you need. Get connected to the source. So he goes on the verse in verse 15. I know all the things you do. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. That's interesting. We're going to get to that in a second. But since you are, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Jesus says, church, remember, he is not talking to unbelievers. This is a letter to the church. He says, church, I know all the stuff you do, but you're neither hot and you're not cold. I'm trying so hard not to sing Katy Perry right now. You ain't hot, you ain't cold, you yes or no, you're in, you're out, you're up, you're down, you're wrong, it's right, it's black and it's white, you fight, you make up. He said, I ain't going to say the rest. He said, you need the hot. Lord, I need to get connected to the source. You ain't hot or you're cold. And if you're not hot and you're not cold, you're what? You're lukewarm. Just like how the limited water supply is that comes into this town that you were called to change. The picture of lukewarm water immediately connected with the church of Laodicea because the water they drank from every day was lukewarm. Lukewarm is a picture of indifference and compromise. It's playing in the middle. Too hot to be considered cold, too cold to be considered hot. And when trying to be both things, they end up being what Jesus calls nothing. 
And since you were trying to be both hot and cold, you're neither, you're nothing, and because you're nothing, I'm going to spit you out my mouth. You make me vomit. That's literally the, the Greek word. It means when the water hit the gut, it created a vomiting reflux. He says, I would rather you be either hot or, or cold. I believe the greatest curse upon this earth has been empty religion. Perhaps that is why the scriptures tells us the greatest darkness is when you think it's light. And the church thinks they got all the answers when half of the answers is actually darkness covering up the fact that they don't know what they're doing. When you think you're dispensing light, but you're actually nothing because sometimes you hot, sometimes you cold. You hot when it comes to evangelism, but you cold when it comes to your belief in casting out demons and healing the sick. Or on the other side, you hot when it comes to casting out demons and healing the sick, but you cold when it comes to intimate relationships with believers that you don't like. You hot when it comes to worshiping Jesus and having love for Jesus. But you cold when it comes to honor and authority that you don't agree with. Think about the, the, the Laodiceans. Because of a limited water supply and the fact that their water supply was not quenching or satisfying their thirst, instead of standing their ground against the enemy, all they did was they compromised and they negotiated with the enemy. The enemy has a great advantage when he's dealing with a church who thrives on lukewarm living. Because of, instead of standing our ground, we make peace treaties with evil. The church is very guilty of that. We say yes as long as we get the offering plate full. We were eating out Wednesday night and we were looking at a new church, or not a new church, but a very large church, and I believe it's Nashville, Tennessee. Maybe Knoxville, I can't remember which one. Nashville. And they're growing like crazy. They call themselves a Christian church. And in their doctrinal statements, and they are using this for their marketing, it says, we believe in Jesus and any other way that you feel like is the right way. It says that half of our staff are gay. It says that we believe the Bible is not truth. It's just a history book. And this is a Christian church in Nashville, Tennessee. How did they get to that idea, lukewarm? Because we will bend as long as it makes us famous and gives us some clout with our city. Hmm. And I find it interesting that Jesus says, I would rather you pick one. Because a sinner who is all cold, when they see him meet hot, 
they recognize it pretty easily. Because when they see Christians who are lukewarm, it's hard to distinguish them from the world and from what they say their source is. I had a wake-up call even probably 10 years ago as a youth pastor when I was having a conversation in a public place and they said, oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. You know how they knew it? Because I told them what I did for a living. But you know how common that is in the world today? I shouldn't have to tell you where I go on Sundays or what I do for a call in my life for you to recognize where I'm connected to. And a believer who is, who is hot, cold stuff can't change your temperature. When someone makes you mad, it doesn't invoke an unrighteous response. <laughs> Jesus says, you're neither hot or you're cold. I wish that you were one or the other. If you knew what you were, I could do something with you. If you were hot and walking in a true relationship with Jesus, imagine what God could do with you. John was boiled alive and was praising God as a result of being boiled alive. If I was boiled alive, I hope my first response would be, praise God. <laughs> and you know what Jesus' response to that? He said, hey, John, you got some writing to do. And we're still reading these letters today. But he also can do something with cold. Because if you're cold, Jesus can clearly see your need and speak into it. Look at Luke 23, 39 through 43. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself. And us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you've been sent up to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. We cold. We ain't lived for God whatsoever. We criminals. But this man hadn't done anything wrong. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. See, he wasn't even trying to get saved. He said, I'm cold. And Jesus, he didn't even say, can you give an altar call before you take your last breath? He didn't say, hey, you got a track? He didn't even ask to be saved. He just says, hey, you, you remember me. When you enter in your place, I deserve to die, I'm cold. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. He says, I want you hot or cold, because if you're cold, you'd realize your need for my warmth, and the only warmth is me. But if you don't know who you are, if you don't live in one identity or the other, you spend so much time battling yourselves that I can't use you because of you. The biggest issue is an identity crisis. You don't, know, you don't know who you are. You ain't hot, you ain't cold, you're lukewarm. One day you're for me, the next day you're against me. You go to church on the weekend, you get filled up, you say amen, you shout, yeah, yeah, yeah. You go home and you, and you don't treat your wife like you treat me. You don't treat your husband like you treat me. You talk to your kids like they're not worthy to be treated as if you were talking to God himself. And you call yourself 
hot or cold. No, you're lukewarm. Everything about what you do should be connected to my source. You got an identity crisis. You're lukewarm. You see, when you're lukewarm, is this okay? You see, when you're lukewarm and you live where you don't know if you're hot or you're cold, you tend to outvote God's ways and commands because you're not truly wrapped up in what he says. You care more about what you say or what your background says or what your culture says or how you grew up and you throw out the idea of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Can I just speak to that for a second? Look around this room for a second, everybody. Whether you see it or not, we got a very multicultural, multi-generational crowd in here. I see Caucasian, I see African-Americans, I see, I see uh, uh, um, Hispanic, I see Asian, I see, I see a lot of different people. Old people, old people, older people, young people, round people, skinny people, good-looking people, ugly people. No, <laughs> Let, can I open your eyes to a truth that a lot of pastors don't have the guts to say? We keep thinking that the solution to the problem is by fixing it with what we see. I'm going to say it. We thought the issue to racism was to put in a black president. And we got more racial issues today than before. We're in the midst of a COVID pandemic. And the government is telling African Americans that they're weaker to a disease based off of the color of their skin. And they're believing it. Let me tell you, God loves color, and we're all the same. Here's where the issue comes in, where we start to exalt a worldly culture connected to a color instead of bringing down a heavenly culture that represents our color. I don't care if that's how you white people do it or if that's how you Asian people do it or if that's how the Hispanic people do it or if that's how African Americans do it. If it ain't kingdom, it ain't right. I could care less about your worldly roots. I want to talk about your heavenly roots. Because you know where the tree of life, the difference between the tree of life in the garden and the tree of the knowledge of garden of good and evil? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, you know what the difference was? The tree of life, the roots were suspended from heaven, not from the ground. Depend on the roots of heaven, not the roots of the earth. Because you were created from my breath and my formation. I created you from the dust of the ground, but the dust of the ground did not give you life to lie. 
This is okay. Kingdom culture. Get more wrapped up in my identity than your identity. You know what the funny thing is about how we outvote God? You know what Laodicea means? It means rule the people. And this church is looking just like the city. It's run by the people instead of God. You make more negotiations that stands with what you want. That's why church voting really is demonic in nature. We were never meant to operate like that. You know why? Because you got people voting that are hot and people voting that are cold, and the thing you vote on is a lukewarm decision. Tell me I'm wrong. That's what I thought. And Jesus says, I will spit lukewarm out of my mouth. I will reject those who have not truly decided where they stand. I hope this is speaking to you. Look at verse 17. You say I am rich and I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. That's what you say. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You see, the church lacked a sense of their need. They looked at their spiritual condition through lukewarm eyes. Oh, we good. Look at our budget. We got plenty of money. We don't, we good. Look at our building. We spiritually good. We holy. We secure. We growing. And Jesus is like, you think I'm measuring your growth by physical facilities? I know companies that exalt Satan that got better facilities than you do. You think a building plan impresses me? Your stewardship of those plans is what I'm looking at. Your, your cause of what you're doing is what I'm invested in. You who are growing is what I'm truly concerned about. You want you know, well, in, in, in my personal time in seeking God and leading this church, what I'm making sure that I'm always submitted to, I God is not impressed with what Relentless has done in the physical in seven years. It's how are you growing the people? And because I focus on that, I realize we ain't nowhere close. We're, we're, we're years beyond where we were. I heard that my cousin, Ryan, in the back, who rarely does this, was giving, I'm kidding about the rarely, he was, he was giving me some props Thursday night. Maybe, maybe rarely. He was saying he loved the fact that they had a men's group on Thursday that he knew that I could never come again and it would thrive because it's no longer dependent on my presence. That couldn't happen three years ago. We're starting to get there. We're not there in every aspect of the house, but that's why this year we'll focus on why is it that God is sending all these seasoned people into the house? Steward it. Steward it. He says, you, 
You think that you're good because of what you've acclimated, because of your assets? You don't even see me. You're so lukewarm that you don't even realize how much you need me. Oh, we good. We wealthy. We got everything we need. You know what Matthew 5, 3 says? God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. Another version says poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Another way to say this, to say this is this. How can God bless you if you don't realize your need for him? If you don't realize your need for him because you depend on what you can do, then there is no fire in you or motivation to run into or enter into the realm of the kingdom of heaven. If you think you have all you need, you have no reason to run into my presence. If you realize how much you need, you have every reason to seek me daily. So if you're not seeking me daily, I realize and I can see that you don't realize your need for poverty in the spirit because you think you're rich. Think about your Monday through today. How many times did you seek God without having to come to church? He says, that's how I measure if you're poor or you're rich. And I want you poor. The more you came to me, you realize how, is how poor in spirit you were. And I love it. Ouch. When you realize your need for him, you run after him in all you do. And you are hot. You're on fire for him because, you, because what you did doesn't satisfy what you've gained doesn't satisfy what you have doesn't satisfy how much you make doesn't satisfy how many cars you have doesn't satisfy what what satisfies you is running into the arms of the father nothing else quenches the thirst and when you get that when the only thing that satisfies is his presence, then you're hot. When the only thing that satisfies you is his source, you know you're hot. Everything else, you're cold. And I don't like lukewarm people. He quenches your thirst, not you. He says, you're blind. You think that you're rich. But you're blind, pitiful, and naked. It's funny. It's a city famous for what? Their eye ointment for healing blindness. And in a city famous for their eye ointment, they blind. And they're the church. Is that far off from America? We read articles all day. Johnson & Johnson's got the cure for COVID. So-and-so's got the cure for COVID. Medical doctors are finding the cure for COVID. And here's, you know, the, the church is just like, Jesus heals. We ain't seeing it yet because we're social distancing and not meeting together, but Jesus heals. That's exactly where Laodicea was. We're healing the blind. 
but we don't see. You think you're blind? You think you aren't blind because you're in, your increase. And John 3.30 says, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. We've heard it in this church many times. We had a fast that really changed the course of this house. It was called decrease for increase. Literally, we abandoned a cheap rent for a 600-seat worship center for a rent that was three times as much for a third of this space. You can see in the carpet and the ceiling where the wall used to be. This is all we had. It was small and uncomfortable. But no one liked each other at the time. Some people liked each other. I didn't like any of y'all. I'm just kidding. But there was cliques. There was no family. No one knew what was going on. And now people are praying for each other, getting raises, getting promoted, and getting healed, and I'm the last one to know about it. Amen. It was when we decreased that he started to say, okay, now that you realize that you need me, I'll bring forth riches from heaven instead of you trying to acclimate riches from this world. And too many of the people in the church are still blind because they're watching and seeing with a natural eye, untouched by God, and they cannot see past a veil that Jesus tore down in his death. This okay? So what do we do? Look at verse 18. What is this message called? Invest wisely. So I advise you to buy gold from me. See, we love to talk about lukewarm, but we don't want to give the solution to it. Here's the solution. Buy gold from me. Who's speaking? Jesus. Gold that's been purified by fire, and then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. The first thing Jesus tells the church, he says, your change has to be, has to be coming from the understanding how poor you are. So you've got to change in what you're investing in. You've been buying gold from the world. You've been buying sound systems. You've been buying paint colors. You've been buying all this stuff from the world. You've been buying the next Bible. You've been buying the next training. You've been buying this. He said, that's not everything's bad, but before you invest in all that, invest in me. Buy gold from me. The only way to understand how poor you are is for you to see what needs you can meet without your resources. And if you think you can meet every need with money, clothes, and what you can see, Remember what they were famous for? Money, textiles, and eye ointment. If you think you can meet every need with your wealth, your clothes, and what you can see, you're never going to receive from the riches from heaven in Jesus. So Jesus says, church, deplete your dependence on your gold so that you can see and start to invest in gold that you cannot see. 
but the gold that you can't see has been purified in fire. You've been relying on your gold. I want you to buy into my gold. I want you to invest in my gold and meet the needs with what I've got, not with what you've got. Well, how do I do that? Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Don't keep hoarding for yourselves earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth eventually rusts, decays, loses its value. Instead, stockpile heavenly treasures for yourselves that cannot be stolen, that will never rust, never decay, never lose their value. Your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. What are the treasures in heaven? What is the gold? Gold, loving others, doing good from a relationship with God, revealing truth, taking a stand even if it means a decrease in the money, being a light to the world, stuff that cannot be stolen. He says, put the investment in that treasure instead of compromising on that treasure to build up your gold. I don't have time to serve God because the end of the world's coming and I've got to build up a safety net. Yet you call him your hedge of protection. If you don't have time to invest in him, you are depending on everything else. And you're either cold or you're lukewarm. And if you claim to be of him, you're lukewarm. And he says, I don't even want you a part of me. <laughs> Choose one. I've got to know what I can do with you. Invest in earth in, 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 in heavenly treasures. Stop getting wrapped up in what you can gain. I can't do anything with that. Buy white garments. If you would invest more in the righteousness that covers you than trying to cover up yourself, you would no longer be ashamed when your nakedness is revealed. Think about why the church can't connect. We're so scared to be transparent about our faults. So we spend more time covering up stuff we get wrong than letting it be exposed to what should be a great family to heal with. Laodicea was famous for glossy black wool to make garments that cover people up. And Jesus says, cover yourselves up all you want. But it's going to get you nowhere. Let me, close you, let me clothe you in my white robes of right standing with me. Stop being ashamed and start walking in my covering. Because there is a strength awaiting in your exposure. When you're weak, I'm strong. Why are you so scared to tell people that you've been divorced three times? Because the church has made you think you can't be used anymore? Why are you so scared to tell people that you, you're, you're being attacked in the night? Because you're scared that people are going to think that you're weak when you simply you don't know how to address it? 
Why are you so scared to tell church people that you're depressed? Because they're going to say that you're possessed by a demon? Why are, you so, why are we so ashamed to be exposed? This should be the safest place to grow together. Instead, we put on black garments instead of white robes. He says, invest in my covering. Let, let me cover you. Don't, don't, don't be ashamed and cover up yourself. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did. They put, on, they put on fig leaves. And I had to cover them up with the only thing that could cover them up. Well, what could cover them up? He had to go sacrifice an animal and cover them up with skin. Because the only thing that can cover you is a sacrifice. Not what you go get. He says, and I've done that for you. I've, I've purchased you unto right standing with me. Walk in that covering. And then he says, buy ointment from me. Receive from me the healing of your spiritual blindness so that you can start seeing instead of looking through the broken lens of a world that makes you so lukewarm. What is the buying process? The labor of a relationship. He says, I just want a relationship with you, my and the burden of my labor is so easy and it's so light. In verse 19, he says, I correct and I discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Is this making sense? Y'all getting this? Jesus says, you know why I'm correcting you and I'm disciplining you in this? Because I love you. And love here is not agape love. We always talk about agape love, but we forget the other types. You know agape love? Agape love is a sacrificial love. Agape love is a type of love where you have to sacrifice something. you got to do something, right? So like the agape love of Jesus is that he sacrificed himself for you. He's not talking about agape love right here. The love right here he's talking about is phileo. And what that is, it's a brotherly love. It's a friendship love. It's a I want to walk with you type of love. He says, I correct and discipline everyone who I walk with, who I want to be with every step of the way. That's why I grace you with the ability to let me live inside of you. Because I don't want a once-a-week meeting. I don't want a lukewarm seeking. I want a day-to-day, hour-by-hour, face-to-face. I want you every moment. And you deserve to be thrown away. You deserve to be spit out my mouth. Because you're lukewarm half the time. But I want you. So I'm never going to give up. I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to correct you. And church, we need to be a people who say, we are not going to choose to be lukewarm. We are going to be a people that say, Lord, we are open to correction and discipline. And like this says, we are going to turn from our indifference. We are repenting. Repentance is not, I'm sorry. Repentance is, I'm changing the direction. I'm changing the course. 
I no longer want to be a once a week believer. I no longer want to be a when it's convenient I come to God. I want to be a day and night seeker. I want to be a day and night person that I, everything that I do is investing into a relationship with my God, my Father, Yahweh. I want to invest wisely in Him because everything has got to be connected to that source. You know what's funny? Is that word diligent comes from a Greek word that means hot. He says, turn from lukewarm, lukewarm but don't, don't go cold. Get hot. Get on fire. Don't make me a hobby. Seek after me. Verse 20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we will share a meal together as friends. That's that phileo love. Jesus says, hey, lukewarm church, let me back in. Let's, let's dine together. In other words, you haven't had an intimate time in my presence in a while because you've been depending on your own stuff. And it's time that if you'll stop depending on your stuff, You'll finally hear my voice and you'll let me in. I want a deep, meaningful relationship with you. And I want you to be invested in me just as I've invested in you. I gave my life for you to change the world. And I didn't want to do it by staying forever. When I left, I said, you're going to do greater things than me. Stop letting theologians who put their opinion on paper and create denominational structures prevent my church from being what it's supposed to be. There's not many truths. Anything that prevents the power of God from working in this world is a false theology and it is a false teaching and I will not stand for it anymore. But you, can also, but you cannot have truth without relationship. So invest in me. Invest in who I am. And if you hear my voice and you get this, verse 21, those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. What was he victorious over? Death. He says, when you get this and get out of your lukewarm living and you make the right investments in me and this relationship, that relationship secures your throne. Not a salvation statement you made at an altar 20 years ago because you didn't understand a piece of paper. But that's what we do in the church. Oh, that... They, 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 they said that they believed in Jesus and they're saved. Let's write it out so that we can exalt the numbers this morning. And then we're just going to put them in the programs. And then later on, we're going to be surprised that they fell. Because there's no discipline. There's no, there's no showing people what relationship is. The church is looking for every excuse of why the Ten Commandments are wrong. They're not Ten Commandments. They're Ten Liberties. 
Every commandment he gives is a way to bring you into a freedom of some sort. Yet we find reasons as to why his grace got you out of the command. When he says, I did not come to abolish the law. He says, but what you've missed is the investment in me. And without me, it's all meaningless. In our last verse, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. No matter how compromised your lives may have become, no matter how lukewarm you may become, repent, change direction, get hot, secure your seat. God, deliver us from self-reliant bad investments and let's get back to depending on you. There's only one way to change this world, and it's not by good ideas. It's not by good strategies. It's by seeking the presence of God and walking out the assignments from heaven. That's it. When we start making those investments, I believe and I decree that we're going to see a day where the dark cloud of Savannah will be a thing of the past that we speak of. I believe it. I believe we will see the church unified like never before. I, will, I believe we will see truth revealed. I, will, I believe we will see stages fall and the church rise. For one purpose. Glory to God. Jesus revealed to all the world. Amen.